Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Our thanks to Adams Road Band for that musical introduction. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. This week, I have the pleasure of talking to two good friends of mine, Corey Miller and Ross Anderson. They have come together to write a book titled Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message, Confident Conversations with Mormon Missionaries and Other Latter-day Saints. Corey, yesterday you were talking about the missionaries' ages, you know, starting at 18. That is a relatively new, not not just recently, but relatively new. It was back in 2012 when the president at that time, Thomas S. Monson, announced that they were lowering the missionaries' ages, for instance, for the male missionaries from 19 to 18, and the females were lowered from 20 to 19. Let me ask you guys, did you think that was a good move? Because when I heard Monson do that, I know a lot of Latter-day Saints were really excited. But I started thinking about this, and I'm thinking, 18, they're right out of high school. They've never really had an opportunity to experience life outside of that, that kind of a closed environment living at home. I'm curious to know your thoughts on it. Ross, what, what do you think? Was that a good idea for them to lower the missionary age? Well, it depends on how you evaluate. the Because a lot of people have speculated that the LDS Church did it because they wanted to close the gap in which a person graduating from high school could go out and sow their wild oats and maybe become apostate somehow. And so to further fortify the role that the mission has in the life of the individuals to fortify their identity and uh, their loyalty, and they come out of their mission a changed person with respect to their church. So, so maybe they want to close the gap. They're losing too many young people. It's hard to know exactly why they did it and whether or not the reason they're saying is the reason they really believe. And maybe it's because you also take a young person, and the mission is an environment where they're going to gain a testimony or they're going to be pressured to gain a testimony. You see all the other missionaries that are bearing their testimony. You're wondering, what's wrong with me? Why don't And so you bear your testimony, you fake in it, whatever. And they teach that if you just fake it till you get it, and you'll get a testimony. So maybe there's some reasons that beyond simply the apparent challenge of putting fresh young people out there in, you know, in, the, in the grinder who aren't prepared to do that. Corey, any thoughts on that? Yeah. My first thought was reminiscent of... Was it wise for Nixon to lower the voting age? Boy, that was a mistake. <laughs> you know, I see something very salient about this. And because I preside over an organization that's on over 100 college campuses, and I see what's happening in the universities, you know, parents and grandparents are literally paying for the apostasy of their own children. And so the LDS Church has to see what's happening, too, not just with the rise of the Internet. But when you're going off to the universities, I think Ross's term there, fortification, uh, is a good one underlying at least one of the motivational tactics, as I would see it. And that is get them solidified, get them fortified early on with the testimony 
And then second, I think, as a matter of church growth, suddenly when they did that, they had a a greater number of missionaries. There's no time then to change your mind. You know, I'm six months into college. I really don't want to go yet. I'll go later. And, And maybe some of them put it off and put it off and put it off and then didn't go. So just get them to go straight out. But there's a greater push with even females right now. They've admitted, they've conceded recently that the pool of possible candidates has shrunk. And yet they are claiming that this year they'll have their largest number by the end of the year of missionaries ever. And when I was flying back on a plane a couple of months ago from Dallas, I was on an airplane with several former Mormon missionaries from the Dallas mission. And I talked with them and one of the females about this whole thing. And and she said that she thought 40% to maybe 50% of the Dallas mission were females. And she says, I think that's going to be more effective for us because uh, we feel and we empathize more. But at the same time, can I add this? It seems like we're also reading articles here locally about the early return of missionaries, that a lot of these young people are coming back before they've fulfilled their two years or whatever. So they're coming back early, which has become a problem, which tends to, I think, support my concerns sending someone out that's so young. Because I'll be quite honest with you guys, I hate door-to-door stuff. I, I don't <laughs> like doing that. Yeah. I, I always feel like I'm imposing on somebody. It's probably going to be an inopportune time. They're going to be angry with me just because I knocked on their door. I don't envy them doing that. I've done it before. In fact, I've done it in Utah, which is really interesting because it's amazing how you get treated here in Utah by people who belong to a church that send out thousands of people doing exactly what I'm doing, and yet you don't like what I'm doing. It's, it's just the weirdest thing. Yeah. I can understand why some of these young kids going out as young as 18 and being perhaps frustrated and not wanting to do this any longer, what they thought it was going to be is not what it actually is. Many of your peers may say that it was the two best years of their life. That's the phrase that we hear. But coming back early, wasn't that the reason to really push the service missionary aspect a person who maybe is not ready to go out and do the proselytizing, going door to door, can do something more at home on their own time. And that has become very popular. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you think maybe that's why they had to do this? Would they admit to that? Probably not. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, I think 30, about 30% of that 100,000 are intended to be service missionaries. And 10% of those service missionaries are ones who, for one reason or another, came back early from their mission on good terms, a dishonorable or an honorable discharge, if you will, uh, to serve at home. So it will be interesting to see, uh, do they make a correction on this? But I have to think right now, as excellent marketers that they are, they saw some good reasons not to wait, not to delay. There was a problem with delaying and advantages in sending them earlier. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like also, I think it's not just lowering the age. These young people participate in a culture that's changing out from under Mormonism. And so the idea of coming home early, Gen Z, whatever they call them now, they have a much lower sense of loyalty to the authority of institutional Mormonism. 
than previous generations have had. And, and the changes we talked about yesterday with the Preach My Gospel, they're grappling with what it means to thrive and exist in a changing culture. Now, Ross, your chapter is titled Clued In to Culture, Engaging Mormons with Discernment. And you wrote, and I'm quoting, for biblical truth claims to land in the LDS soul, our conversations need to take into account the Mormon culture, how this culture shapes the Latter-day Saint identity and the influence it has on how Latter-day Saints hear and evaluate truth. Tell our listeners what you mean by Mormon culture, because we all feel it living here. There's no escaping that if you're going to, to live in the state of Utah. Yeah, so everybody participates in culture. Culture is shaped from our childhood early on, the culture of the people that we live among, and so forth. And culture is basically, it's the way of, it's a shorthand that defines how we know what to do in different situations, how we know how to think about stuff. And so Mormonism shapes a particular culture. I was at a family reunion just Saturday, and talk about like being immersed in the culture. I felt like... Well, because I grew up LDS, but I haven't been a member for a long time. And I, I told my brother, who's also a Christ follower, he, we were struggling with it. I said, look, it's probably like if you married into a Hispanic family, and you're Anglo and you married into a Hispanic family. It would be strange. You walk into that culture and people are starting to talk Spanish, or people are talking about things that you don't understand or you don't get. That's the Mormon culture. It has shaped a sense of how we think about reality, how we do things, uh, the assumptions that we make about what's true and how to know what's true, and all of those things will flavor um, the way we talk about our faith. Corey, anything to add? As you talked about, the changes in Mormonism— for each and every Mormon, we need to recognize not only the general theology and the general culture, but we need to treat these people as individuals and find out what their individual belief is and commitment level is and uh, position that they've located themselves in the culture as well. And I think what you say kind of leads into my, my next question here. And this refers to something, again, Ross, that you wrote. You said that any criticism, even mild disagreement, can be construed as an attack against them and their faith. Now, I'm sure all three of us have experienced that. You simply ask a question with the biggest John 3.16 smile you can muster, and still you're looked upon as you're persecuting them. That being the case, how can we disagree with the LDS missionary or any other member of the LDS church? without this as being looked upon as some kind of an attack. Yeah, right, because you know, persecution was a part of their history, and they've cultivated that sense of, of we are persecuted and always have been. One of the th ways that I approach that is, first of all, I wanted to know the person first. We had missionaries visiting my home this summer, and so he spent a lot of time just saying, tell me about your life, tell me about... So there's a sense of trust, and there's this, it kind of lowers the, the barriers a little bit. But also what I've discovered is by asking them questions, first of all, it helps me understand what they're really thinking, because I don't know what they think until they tell me. One of them was very different on a couple issues from standard Mormonism. It was interesting. But by asking them questions, I'm not on the attack. When I ask a question, I adopt the posture of a learner, and I allow him to be the authority. By creating that space for him, that gives me space to reply. And so questions are a good way. Yeah, and earlier when you had uh, I think maybe yesterday talked about the subtitle of the book, Confident Conversations. One of the perennial problems, Bill, that Christians have when they're engaging with Mormons, first of all, 
is to not engage with them. It's the bash or the dash approach. They see them coming and they hurry and don their blinds and close their curtains or pull out the biggest Bible and as soon as they come in, whack them over the head. They don't see these people as persons, as individuals for whom Christ died, and they don't have compassion. They don't suffer with, they don't come alongside, they don't really understand, and they're automatically putting up their defenses rather than feeling confident enough to allow the Mormon to share because you know what they believe. You know what they're going to say. Confidence means confides, with trust, with belief. You're confident in what, what is going on in that situation. That's the brilliance, I think, of this book, is that it's written by those who are trustworthy, who did their Mormon missions, who understand the missionary discussions and the life of the missionary and know what the ticking points are and they're sharing with you, if you prepare in advance and read this, then you know exactly how many times they're going to ask you to breathe, inhale and exhale. You don't risk getting emotional and discharging that emotional as a defensive mechanism and thus just validating the Mormon thought, as Ross mentioned, as a persecuted people. Instead, you just relax. You can ask the questions, but you can really still be in the driver's seat and do Socratic evangelism, asking thought-provoking questions, knowing exactly where they're wanting to take you, but you're actually taking them in a certain direction. We've been talking with Corey Miller and Ross Anderson, authors of the book, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message. We're going to continue this conversation in tomorrow's show. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website, at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.